as this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. In the following podcast, there will be thoughts and opinions expressed that in no way reflect your federation, this station, website, or affiliated partners. Who is this? How dare you... Who I am is not important. Listen to discretion is... Klingon best. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Trips. Her encore mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new content and new stuff. To follow the girl word, no podcast has gone forth. Hello and welcome to Tribbles and Ecstasy, episode 240. I'm your host, Midnight Shadow, and joining us today, we have got... Hello, everybody. I'm curiously copying, like, news into the show notes. News? News? What is this? It's me, Dog. How's it going, guys? Timberwolf here, ready to figure out why Ryan broke it. <laughs> and to join us in the studio today, we've also got our guests. We've got Jesse Heinick and Ryan Levitt from Starcraft Online. Welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Jesse, we had you on the show previously, which is, I think, about a year ago now. Something like that. Or do. Yeah, it's been a while. Annual um, inspection time. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Ryan, this is the first time on Tribbles for you, isn't it? It is. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to hold it against you. Now... Jesse, you're um, a staff game designer, and Ryan, you're a staff content designer. Yeah. Um, could you two just give a brief sort of description about what it is that you do for Star Trek Online and what your job would normally entail for new listeners who don't know what it is that you do? I'm, as a staff game designer, involved in both content and systems for Star Trek, which means that I get to work on missions, help develop storylines, build the sorts of puzzles and challenges that players are going to face, and occasionally I also get to dive into making powers and items and rewards and creatures and things of that nature. Pretty broad bailiwick. And then as a staff content designer, I just do the content side of what he just said. (laughs) Now... We, of course, have just had the release of 
um, expansion 3.5, um, which has been um, labelled artefacts. So what were your job with regards to this part of this update? I got to work on the episode Echoes of Light that you guys have probably recently played, and I set up most of the mission for that, including the puzzles and the various parts of the sort of uh, wild space exploration uh, bits. Ryan is... Um, I was focusing primarily on the uh, space side of the uh, new fleet holding. K-13. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I haven't actually played the new featured episode yet. Um, yes, I, I know, right? I blame my car. <laughs> oh, I thought I'll go for a little holiday to take my son up to my dad's house. Um, so I was supposed to have four days away. Well, I spent most of that time actually in AA vans being relayed from one part of the country to the other uh, because the car kept overheating. So, um, so yeah, unfortunately I'm way behind on a load of things I was supposed to have done, including playing the new featured episodes. <laughs> well, the Artifacts release is, of course, following on the heels of Expansion 3 Agents of Yesterday, where we explored the storyline of the Temporal Cold War and how players, captains, get involved in all of those sorts of time-traveling shenanigans. Uh, in addition, of course, to adding the ability to play captains from the 23rd century who are then catapulted into the role of being temporal agents. And Ryan got to do some of his content debut work there. Uh, if you remember hunting down the Nakul assassin and operative Krog, uh, Ryan introduced her to us with his content. Yep. Um, and then Artifacts is expanding on this storyline and sort of continuing it and seeing how the events that played out in Agents of Yesterday uh, are going to close up and then lead into the next phase of our galactic story. And additionally, it's all connected to season 11 where we met the Lucari, um, had first contact with them, and now they've realized that the galaxy is much bigger than they've been dealing with, and they're kind of wetting their exploratory feet. So we are taking them out into the universe and finding what we can find. Okay. Now, one of the things that we've had um, recently have actually been the new ships that have, we've actually been voting on. Have either of you two had much involvement in that aspect of, of this release? Only from the story side of that perspective. The ship artists team put together several concepts and they really wanted to make the Lucari have a distinct design that felt very different from a lot of things that we've come to see with the Federation or the Klingons. But the episode Echoes of Light that just went live, of course, the Lucari have a loner vessel that was given to them by the Gorn ambassador from the Klingon Empire while they tried to get their ship assembled. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be up to the community to decide which of those designs is the one that goes into production for the Lucari. And Hopefully, in a future episode, we will see it. So there wasn't a storyboard somewhere that that was that was. Uh, hey, you know, let's let's make the Lakari have all the you know Earth Witness UFO ships as their ship, and then have a story somewhere later where it's the Lakari going back in time all this time. 
on Earth? Well, I think that we've kind of told the time travel stories that we want to tell for a little while. Uh, with the, the Lucari, uh, I can only speak in general terms since I'm not one of the ship artists who made that decision, but I know that they wanted to uh, prototype a design that looked very different. One of the, the things that I was rooting for early on is I said, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if the Lucari are so low-tech compared to the Federation that they don't have artificial gravity and they have a rotating gravity section? But that was a, an idea that they, they kind of wanted to get away from for reasons that will become apparent later. And so instead, the sort of like UFO-like and flying wedge designs uh, came out of the, the concept art, the, our great concept artist Hector Ortiz sort of prototypes. Um, so that we could give them like a trilateral shapes and shapes that don't have like the regular warp engine profile that you've come to expect from a lot of Star Trek ships. Right. I mean, our main um, input into a process like that is we get to help try and shape through our storytelling what this race is like. And then once we kind of have figured out what their main themes are, um, our, our art team then it extrapolates on that and do amazing jobs. Okay. Now, out of all the designs, did you guys have your own preference to which one that you wanted, and did you guys actually vote, or were you not allowed to? Uh, we're not voting because we don't want to influence this. This is pure. This is a specifically a, a community uh, vote, so. You know, we probably all have our, our individual favorites, but we do not want to influence the community. Yeah, I'm not going to taint the process by skewing the vote or telling people what to vote for. We want to see which design people think really speaks to them, resonates with them, uh, is the one that they randomly clicked on, and, and go with that. Yeah, we want to make sure that people are getting the shit that they're going to want to see the most. Yeah. Now, going back to um, Expansion 3.5... Okay. Um, was there always a plan to do a 3.5 release, or was that just that time um, restraints meant that there are a load of things that you wanted to sort of you couldn't get it out with the initial release? Um, so it was decided that you'd have the 0.5 because I know you because with the expansions you've not really tended to have the 0.5 releases it's, you've, you've had a lot of, sort of seasons where you have I mean usually we have you know our bigger releases and our smaller releases um, and we after doing uh, X3 we just felt that a smaller release made sense more so it wasn't this wasn't a like we didn't get to finish things in in X three and we, so we just shoved them over to here. This was its own uh, release that was planned for. Yeah, we did schedule this one in advance, and partly it's because X three is all about the temporal storyline. But the story that we're telling in three point five is related to that, but it's starting to move into the direction of the next mystery that we're going to unveil, the next elements that we're going to talk about in the game, and so. X3 sort of stands on its own, and then X3.5 bridges the introduction of the, the next bits of story elements. So, so the two are discrete. The use of the, the half-step um, expansion also makes it a good opportunity to introduce tweaks to systems like the update to kits that went with this. Right. I mean, also, part of this was because we were all hands-on to get console uh, out the door. You know, we didn't want to have yet another large release coming right afterwards. 
Yeah, because um, yeah, we've also had the new um, lighting changes that also went live when it came to 3.5 as well, didn't we? Yeah. I must admit, it looks so much better. Um, there are some areas where, um, I know there are lots of people that complain that where it's very bright. It can, um, now, our, our environment artists are diligently going through various maps as they get reported and fixing things up. For instance, I just played the Federation Fleet Alert early to, earlier today, and there's something weird going on with some high-level reflectivity in that map, and one of our environment artists is already looking into it. So as we find these sorts of issues, we're going to come through and check them. Sometimes things that look really bright or bloomy might be a deliberate result of how some of the contrast, high contrast lighting works. For instance, if you're on New Romulus and you go into one of the dark areas where there's an animal cave and it's really shadowed, and then you turn around and you look at an area where you've got a lot of sky, the sky is going to look really bright, almost washed out. And this is because the lighting engine's actually trying to simulate the effect that you really have when your eyes have adjusted to a dark area and then you look at something that's bright and it's almost painfully so. Yeah. The thing is, I've liked it. I'm, I was very impressed. I sort of went to the Dilithium mine, and of course, my ship turned a sort of bluey color because of um, the blue light from the planet. And it's just like, that's nice. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, of little bonuses we're going to get out of this. Dynamic lighting will be a lot better. So, for instance, that means that we can update how flashlights work so that the, they're much better about casting actual light. Guys, Monique. guys, yes, I just played that like five, five, 15 to 20 minutes ago. I just got through playing that mission. You need to go and play it with the new lighting. You really do. My son was playing that um, while we are away. So, um, yeah, I was trying to sort my car out. So it's like, oh, can I play Star Trek online? So he started playing that. It's like, I can't see anything. And this was like the Monday. So it's just before the lighting changes went live. <laughs> it's just like, I'm sure it'll be better when it, the new update comes. When's that tomorrow? Well, it doesn't help me now, Daddy. <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm afraid it doesn't. <laughs> so... Um, oh, seriously, no. you guys, seriously, go and play that mission. Go and play it right now with the new lighting. Now, for any listeners who have been having issues when they've actually gone into the game, if it does look pixelated, it's because of um, a bug, that I believe that it is, for the render scale. Um, it's being set to 0.2 or 0.4. Um, in your graphics options, there will be a render scale, set it to one, or you can type in forward slash render scale, then a space, and then the number one, and then just hit enter, and things should look much better. We have the graphics team also is working on patching a lot of these issues. There was an issue with certain AMD and Intel cards as well that they just released a patch for. So. Expect to get some hot fixes for these rolling out the door as quickly as we find them. Yeah. Ask it. It was it was really, really weird doing Days of Doom and warping in and everything was transparent. <laughs> like you could you could see the models, the outlines of the models, the etching for the detail on the models, but all of the models, including the station and even the Doomsday machine, were somewhat transparent and you could see space through them. That would be really strange. That would be very strange. But that's the queue that you built, isn't it? That was the queue I built. That's Ryan's. 
Dodger Ryan did it. <laughs> <laughs> the transparency, not his fault. That's graphics. But the cube stuff. <laughs> Ryan was the one who conceptualized the idea of, like, you're carrying the football, which happens to be radioactive. Yeah. I must admit, I do like that mission. It's such a good one. Yeah. So I, I always find it fun to play when I can sort of get the time to do Interestingly so. enough, playing it with the transparency was the first time I was, I've ever been in a pug that failed that mission. <laughs> <laughs> like we had, we had like the feder, you know, because if you if you don't stop the doomsday because you device saw too much by getting the warp core to the to the doomsday device, a captain like sacrifices himself and a, a constitution class to blow up the doomsday machine. And then Scotty tells you that you should feel bad. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's like, we... Guys, wh- why the hell weren't three of you oh, near the station and not, like, helping to try and shove warp cores at the thing and slow it down? I kind of wish we had gotten Chris Duhon to record LTP, noob. <laughs> Get good. <laughs> Now, we've had um, some information, of course, regarding the infographic for the console. Um, How much involvement did you guys have with the console releases? Because I know you tend to be console where most of the stuff's already been created, but did you guys have to do much in the way of prep for the console stuff? Um, I mean, we definitely had a lot of... um bug fixing and polish trying to get uh, the game to feel as good as possible on console. Obviously, uh, for example, tooltips. You know, we can't tell you to click on something, so we had to make sure we went back through all that and make the tutorial as as understandable as possible from a uh, console owner's perspective. Um, And there just were certain little things that would crop up and we would realize, yeah, this doesn't work as well on console. And we would go in there and try and figure out a way to make it work both on console and on PC. Ryan in particular spent a ton of time smoothing out the play experience and making sure that everything that was supposed to be for console was for console and PC was for PC. And that that everyone had like a good understandable experience that spoke to the platform that they were playing on. So, uh, Kudos to, to Ryan for making sure that people had a good good experience with the game there. Thank you. Um, we, in terms of mission development and whatnot, fortunately, because our engine was built to be able to run directly on the console, we didn't have to do massive sweeping updates to all of the missions and whatnot. Although from time to time, we'd find weird edge case bugs that yeah. would only come up in certain very specific circumstances and, and tackle them as needed. But it was also really great because... There are a lot of old bugs in in early content that just because suddenly we're going to be getting a new audience, we're like, no, we, we need to go back and smooth them out. But all those bugs get fixed for console, they all get fixed for PC too. So suddenly we're now creating a better experience for both of uh, our player groups. It's just nice that we had a good excuse to go back and fix the old stuff. Right. Yay, so while- the bracers on Kronos got fixed! Yeah. So, so while the, the programmers and the UI designers were busy making all new interfaces for the console, the, the content team's contribution to console was primarily to make sure that the console experience was solid and to go through and polish up the, the, the play experience and just bring up the level 
that much more so that people would have a good time. And all of that paid dividends for both console and PC. Cool. Studog, you had a question that you wanted to ask. Yes, uh, thank you, Midnight. My question came towards the the Lakari exploration of the galaxy coming in as a sort of storyline. When that storyline was being envisaged, was it thought of to be a prelude to an upcoming exploration system revamp to bring back the old-style clusters? Well, we certainly do not want to bring back the old-style clusters. Um, D'Angelo said uh, previously that they weren't up to the standards that we expected for the game, and I think that that is still true, that the old-style star clusters generated a lot of content that was repetitive and and fairly uninteresting. Um, I I talked a little bit about this in a a couple of threads on forums that that came up, that building good and engaging exploration systems is difficult. Um, For instance, No Man's Sky had problems because it's so randomized that nothing ever stands out. Everything feels like it's a bunch of pieces that have been pulled out of a puzzle box and put together, but it's devoid of any context. So you need something that is semi-random, but that it pulls out, it's smart enough to figure out how to give the player interesting experiences and high notes, things of that nature. And this is difficult stuff to build. Um, So we don't want to just bring back old bad content that accounts for something like three gigabytes of the footprint on your disk, if we had it, uh, the the star clusters, Um, and also having the star clusters, because it involves, I think, 3,600 maps, increased the compile time for us to get our builds out by about a day, I think. So Uh very, very bad. Yeah, very bad for us to be able to (laughs) deploy stuff in an agile fashion. So we want a better solution. And the the presentation of an exploration style of gameplay in the Lucari episodes is to show that we're not blind to this being something that is important to the mythos of Star Trek. Uh, and it is something that we want to experiment with. And partly it's looking for ways that we can make gameplay that's interesting when it's done about exploration. Um, continue. We're continuing to investigate how we can do an exploration system that will work well and be fun and be persistent and function under our engine. And there's a lot of work in order to do that sort of thing well. And we go through prototypes and, and design ideas and brainstorms and so on. Um, and that's, that's a lot to shoulder when we also have to keep to a regular schedule of getting out new episodes and new ships and new uh, cues and, and so on. But yeah, until we can do it justice, you know, we're not going to put out a, a uh, half-ass system. There's... You know, from time to time, people will say, well, Cryptic really just half-assed thus and such thing again. And without touching that, uh, we do really want to see, if we do an exploration system, we want it to sort of stand on its own as an interesting and engaging system that is different from the way we've deployed our, our current content in Stowe, that has long-term viability, that has good rewards, interesting moments of experience, uh, and overall is a whole experience that makes people say, wow, this really did get the exploration uh, mythos of Star Trek. Yeah, totally. I mean, you want the player base to say, wow, you guys nailed it. Right, and we're not going to nail it if we just spend two weeks on it, shove it out the door and go, eh, so 
Why would we do that? <laughs> so it's it's you know it's it's one of those those damned if you do, damned if you don't scenarios where we, we want to do it, but if we're going to do it well, it's going to take a lot of resources and time. And so people want exploration now. They want it yesterday. They want it last year. But we can't give you a good exploration system today, last week, last year. So we're not going to do it until we can do a really good system. And it is a thing that we really want to do. And we do continually investigate new ideas and new iterations on this sort of thing. And some of the gameplay in Echoes of Light is designed specifically to feel like, is this fun? Is this interesting? Is this maybe the kind of thing that you'd want to do when you're exploring? Exploration has turned into our Kobayashi Mario. Oh. But we are going to perk <laughs> the hell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've sort of mentioned a little bit about sort of what sort of players can say and things like that. What do you think the biggest misconception is regarding sort of what you guys do for your jobs and what players will think and say on, say, the forums and things like that? Um, I mean, I think one thing that's true for the entire game industry is that frequently players think that a little change is an easy fix um, without realizing that, especially in the MMO, like there could be loads, like layers and layers of architecture that make that not an easy fix. The, the thing that I constantly see is people who don't really understand the division of duties in game companies. Like, there was a, recently, I patched in a fix for the bug where you couldn't get the duty officer assignments that let you recruit new Romulan bridge officers, and, and now those are back. Uh, it was a result of fixing a different bug that made those broken, so I fixed them. Um, and then some other player posted, hey, since you're fixing these duty officer assignments, why don't you fix the problem with these location-based ones that are in sector space? And it's difficult to communicate to people that the one problem that I fixed was a data issue, which I could deal with. The other problem is a programming issue, which requires one of our programmers to do it, and I can't do anything about it. Sometimes it gets so far afield as like, you fix a bug in a mission, and then someone says, hey, why didn't you fix this costume that I'm having a problem with? Well, I never went to art school and, and don't know how to fix a costume in a 3D <laughs> model. Yeah, those are big things. Sorry, what was that? I said, yeah, so those are, I mean, those are, I think, are the, the big misconceptions is, is that things that look easy aren't necessarily easy, and we don't do everything. Right. Yeah, just because I posted on the forums that I fixed a bug doesn't mean that I can fix every bug or that I can do it right now. Thing is, as someone who does software development myself, one of the other problems is, is sometimes doing a fix can be easy, but sometimes the repercussions of that fix can cause a hell of a lot more problems than the actual issue itself. Definitely. Uh, I mean, a, a good example is, you know, a, a text line might feel weird when a certain character is saying it, so you change it, but what you don't realize is that there are like 20 other NPCs that were also using that text line and it made total sense when they were saying it. So now suddenly you've broken it for them. Like these are the little things where it's so easy to miss something like that. You know, human error definitely can happen. Um, and there's only so much that our QA department can actually check. Like, they might check that, yeah, the text looks fine now, but they didn't know that they had to check the other 20 NPCs. Right. They don't necessarily know that under the hood it's calling data from this same store. The, the, all they know is that...
that this character was saying something that was wrong, and now they're saying the thing that's right. They have no expectation that it will necessarily break something else. And our QA guys are pretty smart, and usually they will check for other things like that, but there are sometimes non-obvious consequences. Yes. <laughs> Especially when you're, you're dealing with a six-year-old uh, product. Yeah. It's an, an enormous game. There's a lot going on, and wait, many buried wait, skeletons. Wait. I think I need to hear this story. What? Ha- how are twenty-something different different characters like pulling the same text line? And it was this a, other character. It was a hypothetical example. It was not actually something I I recently fixed. I'm just saying that you can have things that are connected like that, and and it's really easy for something like that to break. I'll give you a real example. Something that actually did happen. We were looking at a bunch of our early missions as part of the console development, and saying, "Hey, there's all these missions where like Orion ships and Noskin ships." Uh, are supposed to fight the player, and they just sort of pop, they appear, they don't warp in. And so our systems guys went through and said, okay, we'll give them a default spawn-in animation of warp in. Well, unfortunately, there were a ton of other things like launched fighters and certain types of torpedoes and things that are classed as belonging to this group of Nausicaan ships or Orion ships or whatever, and now they said, oh, my group says do a default warp in when I appear on the map. And so suddenly these things are warping in out of nowhere all over the place. Players are launching fighters that are doing warp-in animations. They said, this perhaps broke more than it addressed and rolled that one back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, it's coming up to Halloween. Now, yes. That means, of course, we get Hearts of Mind coming back. Yep. Now, this was a mission, if I recall, that you made, wasn't it, Jesse? Yes. I had some time on the weekends. <laughs> now, given the extra tech that's been added since you actually created this mission, do you think you'll ever go back and do any updates to sort of add some like random um, choices into it? Because I know you've got tech that you can choose different paths to have then different sort of submissions within sort of the mission itself. Do you think you might do that? I wouldn't rule it out. I haven't for this Halloween, but I do occasionally go in and update it when we add new things to the game. For instance, you may recall that part of the mission involves trying to get kill you with neurocene gas, and I updated the mission so that if you're wearing an EV suit, the, the neurocene doesn't hurt you. And then I went through and I added another update when we got rebreathers and said, oh, if you're wearing a rebreather, that also protects you to some degree from the gas. Um, uh, changing how the mini contacts work in the system. Uh, it should, the map should have the new lighting engine pass through it. Uh, so as we add things to the game, I, every once in a while I like to, to fiddle around with it. Um, I wouldn't expect any huge changes in the, the near term, but you never know what the future will hold. Certainly it's an episode that, that can use a, a few revisits now and again because it's been live for many years and it might be interesting to throw a few curveballs at the player. <laughs> Excellent. Now, one question I always I like a, to ask. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Midnight. I, I hate interrupting, but I have a suggestion for you, Jesse. Oh. You remember the episode Mindscape? Yeah. He had that. He had that telepathic kind of wibbly field around the 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 player's perspective. Right, because you're actually in a mind meld with Tuvok. Right. Why not apply it there because those people are also psychic? Um, potentially, but you're not actually in a mind melt. You are running around through this facility. Right, right. but you could 
you could still say that there is there is a, a psychic suppression going on as well. Uh, any number of things. Um, I do like messing around with the, the ramifications of telepathy and similar powers in the Star Trek universe. Um, and since uh, Dr. Seaback has been conducting these experiments for quite some time now, and potentially could continue to do so for a, a very long time, um, he might get, you know, a new notion now and again, especially if we have a new reward item. really shouldn't suggest things to Jesse, because he'll always find the most evil way to implement something. <laughs> Look, I'm okay with that. Anything that makes that mission a lot more scarier than it actually is, is wonderful. Uh, Hearts and Minds, interestingly, there was someone on the forums commented that they were like, this mission was not very scary, and the designer should have taken notes from the guy who did What Lies Beneath. Um, which I also did. And uh, <laughs> it, um, they are different kinds of horror. I made Hearts and Minds to be a more cerebral horror. Kind of the, the realization that this guy is making brain-damaged clones of himself so that he can experiment with personality imprinting. And and overriding the personality of a, a host body with his own damaged psyche. And that this is the sort of thing that should make your skin crawl. But it's not the same as a jump scare in a darkened, haunted house. And so they're different ways of expressing horror. Um, which was why I think those episodes feel so different and why some people feel like, oh, this one's really scary and this one's not. Different things scare different well, see, I, I think I think that that cerebralness is kind of lost when you step into a room and start reading a log, and then you're suddenly attacked by like five different people. It's like <laughs> I can't read anything because I have to I have to kill these people. And they're all clones. The um, the other side of that, of course, is that that um, I used the cloning part of that story specifically because it's a thing that's underutilized in Star Trek. There's just a few episodes about cloning, but the Federation is, is kind of like pretty down on the whole cloning process. And so I thought it might be interesting to see, okay, well, what's a, a consequence of someone who's got cloning technology and he essentially has the ability to upload his mind. You get Eve online in Star Trek. <laughs> 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 Well, it doesn't randomly pull in PDPers to gank you. <laughs> but wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I think that's called Karat. Now, if you guys were Q, you had unlimited resources to add anything to Star Trek Online that you wanted, what would it be? Um, Jesus. So, unlimited resources to add anything. Um, yeah. I'd want to be able to add a way to have all of your bridge officers have their own unique personalities, their own uh, loves, dislikes, um, like have huge like relationship trees and stuff like that. Because I feel like that's a very Star Trek thing, but to build something like that would be <laughs> nearly a impossible. Massive undertaking. We might actually give a damn about Rinna. Plus a lot of video games, honestly, do relationship stuff really poorly. CRPGs, like there's there's the whole like Japanese dating sim side of things that sometimes does it well and sometimes does it poorly. But computer RPGs in general tend to be really bad about modeling human relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think really still the best uh, game for modeling relationships is Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> you certainly can go insane. Um, I think um, with unlimited resources, 
Well, I mean, that's that's a kind of a trick, because if we had unlimited resources, then we could do anything we wanted with them. And we could make the Star Trek world a post-scarcity society, because we have unlimited resources! Veggie burgers for everybody! But, um, <laughs> or whatever your, your dish of choice is, we'll just replicate it. Um, if, uh, if I could pick anything to add to Stowe, um, I would, I think, really like to actually get a well-developed, well-fleshed-out exploration system built in. Something that gives players the opportunity to discover, to build, to feel like their choices in that process are meaningful, to contribute to the, the general knowledge of the, the galaxy, and occasionally to have those explorations lead into adventures of the Star Trek kind. So if you want to send us unlimited resources, we'll try and get on that. Right. <laughs> Make those checks out to cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I've tried that before yeah. don't get anything <laughs> uh, people tend to see right through that we only know you're going to spend it on your car midnight uh, yeah yeah spent most of today trying spend to it get on anyone car. he'd spend it on a new car uh, I mean trying to sort that today that, <laughs> that's just as hard as oh dear Anyway. So got any more questions about our recent content or old content or what else we're doing? Um, Tunsil, you had some questions. Have all yours been answered? To, to the extent that they can be talking sure. to content designers? <laughs> I have to talk to ship designers. Sorry. <laughs> talk to Thomas the Cat. I have to, I have to ask, you know, why, why go for the UFO aesthetic and, like, have no vi visible engine whatsoever on these ships? With the exception of, what is it, Echo? Having the little the little two lit-up bits on the back of the wings? Right. Like, yeah. there are no visible engines. It's, like, wholly different from everything else in Star Trek. Which I think was part of the reason they wanted to do that. They wanted something that was a big departure from the, the traditional formula that most Star Trek ships follow. I mean, they, they definitely are thinking about how to, how is it powered and how does it work. So, like, they definitely have an idea of all that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you probably do want to talk to... Yeah, to Thomas the Cat, Hector Ortiz, yeah. those guys, be the ones to talk to. Yeah. Yes, that's right, Alex. Unlimited power! <laughs> now... Before we ask more questions, Timberwolf, you've actually been pretty quiet for a change. Do you have any questions? Well, that's because I did my rant last week, so I'm trying to say a little more subdued this week. <laughs> I'm not used to being on Sun Seal's uh, soapbox. But no, I. That's the thing. I was asking Ryan and Jesse all sorts of questions out there in Vegas, so I'm tapped out right now. <laughs> like, I. Because I was over at their booth every day, so I was he like was. poking them. And with a stick, no less. Yeah, with a <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, Jesse, you you weren't that forthcoming sometimes, so I did have to poke you with a stick. That was sharp. sharp Give us more codes. Yeah, stick. <laughs> really. <laughs> now, this year being the fiftieth anniversary, mm -hmm. what has been? your sort of favorite thing that's happened or come out for the 50th? I mean, I guess this was, since this was my first STLV, that was my favorite thing of the, for the 50th. 
Yeah, you got all kinds of goodies. You got your first expansion with the game. Yeah. You get your first child. You got your first STLB convention. 50th anniversary of Star Trek will live on in yeah. the hollowed halls of Ryan's memory. This, is, this, this, is, this year is definitely led with the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> and we should be clear that Ryan didn't get his first kid from STLV. No. That's something no. separate. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've heard if I did, that would be a really fast uh, turnaround. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Suspiciously quick. Um, I am, let's see. I had a really good time at STLV as well. Uh, got to do fun stuff with the Criterion mini convention, with working at R. Uh, booth for Cryptic as well. Uh, I really enjoyed that we got to give out the holographic representations of the original crew. Um, I'm super happy with the work that we've gotten to do with Kipley Brown on our, our latest episodes, turning her character into a, an important character in Star Trek Online. She's been enjoying it too. Yeah, and uh, she's just been training some great work um, for, for her voice work and, and developing the character's story. Um, and I really, it's always fun, a real joy when we have, you know, Trek alums and veterans come in and they're super enthusiastic about their role and about their place in, in the Star Trek canon, uh, or soft canon in our case. Um, and also, I'm, of course, stoked about the announcement of a new Star Trek TV series coming next year, but it was announced this year, so, hmm, 50th anniversary. Still counts. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame that it's been put back a few months, but... As I've said before on the show, I'd rather it be delayed and we get something really good out rather than it being rushed and looking flaky. Definitely. Like an exploration system. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, we also, of course, had Star Trek Beyond come out this year. What were your thoughts on the new movie? Uh, It's a fun action flick. Yeah, I think that Beyond did a lot more Trekian things than its two predecessors. Um, I think that it was very clearly a, a, a message movie that Star Trek is famous for doing, talking about the, the problems of repatriating soldiers and getting past the war mentality and how you deal with um, shifting into this peaceful society that's willing to defend itself from a society that had come from a history of warfare uh, and all the consequences there. I also really liked that every member of the, the main crew got their chance to shine, to really show their specialty and, and how they do what they do so well and why they're important and, and noteworthy people. Um, I love the new character of Jayla. She was fantastic. Um, and uh, I think that... that Overall, it was a, a pretty strong entry into the franchise, and they've announced, I believe, that they're doing another one now. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to see where that's going to go. I feel like I could tell where Simon Pegg wrote some stuff, and I feel like he has some some good, really good thoughts on Star Trek and what the, the mythos means. I actually watched... Uh... The, the first two movies, like the weekend before going to see uh, the, the going to see Beyond, um, I mean they're fun movies. Like they're they are obviously very different mm-hmm. from the originals, um, yeah. but they're meant to be. Um, 
but like if you if you take them as just a fun science fictiony action flick, like they're really entertaining. Well, one of the things that um, again, well, as I said on the show before, that I've been rewatching since Netflix in the UK got all the TV series. I've been rewatching all of it, so I've already gone through the original series, the animated series, and I'm now on um, the final series of TNG, and I've already watched Enterprise. And one of the things that I'd noticed was when I rewatched the films like you, Ryan, just before the film came out, that when you look at the films and you compare it to the original series, you can see why they took certain decisions. But if you were to compare it to, say, the next generation, it's completely different. And I can see where a lot of fans were going, no, that's not Star Trek. say before anyone asks uh, we cannot promise uh, surfing on lots of fighters while Sabotage is playing. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the right issues. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, a movie is a, a two-hour canned experience and I think that while the, the new Kelvin Timeline movies are telling different kinds of stories than a lot of of the stories from earlier Trek, uh, there's a lot of weight put on them by viewers to say, oh, this is and, and isn't what Star Trek is about, but that's informed by hundreds of hours of television. Right. And in a two-hour movie, you have to encapsulate a few things to talk about your story in three acts. Um, and so they chose specifically to make these new, very modern action films with snappy dialogue and, and really really shiny, spectacular effects. Um, and so, like Ryan said, you know, we, we got these movies that are made by the guy who did Fast and the Furious, and in spite of it being a movie by the guy who did Fast and the Furious that has all these action scenes, the characters have a lot of interesting things to say, too. And there's some, some subtle messages in there about what Star Trek is about. So they had to pick their battles, and they chose which ground they wanted to do their movie on, and they did something that engaged people and was a ton of fun. I mean, I actually um, saw Into Darkness before I saw Wrath of Khan. Um, and seeing those two movies, it's really fascinating what your experience is going to be depending on which order you see it in. Because I could tell it was making references to things, but I wasn't sure what yet. And then I see I saw Wrath of Khan and I'm like, Oh, I see what they were what, like. There was a head nod. There was another head nod, and and I think that's something that's actually really unique about um, these three movies is that they don't have to take the time to introduce the characters from scratch. I mean, they have introduced the characters or reintroduced them, but everyone already knows kind of what that relationship is supposed to be like because they know the old characters, and you know there are very few times where you where you, you can get away with something like that um especially in movie format so it's I, I think they're doing well for what they are but i think yeah a lot of hardcore trekkies are just gonna be like that's not track and well the, it, i i think it's akin to 
some of the arguments about like when Deep Space Nine was in its third season and some people are like, I don't know about this. And some people are like, this is the best Star Trek ever. And others like, it's really militant. And Star Trek's not really supposed to be about that. People have different faces of Star Trek that they identify with. And it's perfectly valid for one person to enjoy the original series and another to like the next gen and for someone else to like the Kelvin timeline. And that makes our lives really difficult, too, because... We have to appease them all. Yeah, we're trying to appease all those people, and, and for everyone, Star Trek is something different. I mean, we want to have content that feels very Federation, we want to have content that feels very Klingon, and content that feels very Romulan, but it's hard to, to do all that and still create a cohesive storyline that everyone is happy with. Yeah, I feel like Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. I must appease the first Sovereign Emperor, but I must also appease Ching Dai, the god of the East! <laughs> Good accent. Now, I know you guys are short on time. Um, so, finally, I just wanted to throw things back to you guys saying, do you have any questions for us? Hmm. So, how, how many people have actually completed uh, the, new, the new content? Um, do you mean. All, all of the new content or just the new episode? Like. I mean, I guess the new episode. Right, because nobody's on Because nobody's yet. finished the, the new fleet holding yet. Right. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I think the rest of the crew have, have, haven't you? I have, yeah. Yes. What are your thoughts? It is amazing. Spoilers. Well, I wasn't going to give away any spoilers, but I like the dynamic of the mission. Um, it definitely does have that exploration feel that a lot of players that want exploration would get. And I do think it's kind of nice that when we first started playing, we're like, where's K-13? Well, if you play the mission, you know exactly where K-13 is. Just leads right to where it is. So it's it's kind of nice. Um, I think it was a great job. I really do. Um, having the, the combat, a little bit of ground combat, space combat at the very end was a little weird for an all exploration but I guess it does balance out because even with a lot of heavy exploration missions there is at least a little bit of conflict so it it did mesh well there's three different story threads that are all knotted together in Echoes of Light and that's what's going on with the Lucari exploration initiative and their entry into the galactic community Uh, what happened with K-13 its story and what's going on with the the disaster that you discover at the end of the episode who did this and why uh, so tying up all three of those in the, the same episode was a bit of a challenge um, one of the things I really liked was getting to actually do a little archaeology and anthropology because ANA is a, a field that is central to Star Trek's exploration initiative, understanding the roots of cultures and other people, why they are the way they are, where they came from, and, and what their history is. Uh, and so I, I, I really enjoyed getting to, to toss a little bit of that into the puzzles. Speaking of which, has anybody thought to go back and check on the Mintakans? Um, the Proto-Vulcans. Yeah, yeah they are um, not on our radar right now. Um, that would be a better question for our writer, Paul Reed. He's currently our, our lead writer. Um, there, I mean, obviously, they got spoiled by Picard's intervention inadvertently in their society. Um, 
but uh, what the consequences of that are going to be are something that we haven't really come around to address. It just They haven't been central to the story needs at the moment. But you never know, next year's the 30th anniversary of TNG. I have a sneaking suspicion we might revisit various elements of that show. Probably. No, like you don't that, say. Like that advanced farming culture in the Briar Patch that everybody mm-hmm. thought, uh, what is it, Echo was supposed to be a ship of. Right. So... I think that's our time, though. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've got to haul on out of here. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, very much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, thank I hope you. you enjoy your evening. Thank you. Same to you folks. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks. See you later. Goodbye. So, that was Jesse Heineck and Ryan Levitt from Star Trek Online. So now... Time for the Star Trek Online news. And what a news week it's been. The newsiest of news. So, um, first of all, saying that's mainly PC, but eventually will be console as well, which is the shipbuilding contest that we sort of um, briefly discussed um, during the interview. So, um, so yeah, we've now got um, more of a design when it comes to um, the chosen three. So the winners was Team Alpha, Team Charlie, and Team Echo. So, And again, I, I kind of want to point out, the first two, Alpha and Charlie, are really, really common, you know, Earth-bound UFO sighting ships. Like, when you, when you have people who talk about having seen UFOs, you've got the the triangle with the the three points of light at each point of the triangle and then you have the uh what's what's also, what's referred to as the the coin disc or the oblong it's kind of a it's kind of an egg shaped but it's usually flat and 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 disc shaped now um yeah it looks like the voting is open to decide which one goes through so, yeah, you've got the choice between the three, and you can vote via Facebook, Twitter, and through the forums. Um, I didn't see a date when this voting closes. I just read it was the end, the, of the month. end of the month. Yeah. It is the end of the month. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just having a look through the blog, and I didn't notice um, a date on it. So I quickly flipped through it. Like I said, unfortunately, being away and car issues, I'm currently behind on the news. So, um, so yeah, the end of the month isn't too far away because, of course, that's only well <laughs> this weekend. So, uh, yeah, make sure you go and vote for your choice. So, um, but yeah, there's already all-out war breaking out in the forums over which one. <laughs> it's like one of the first responses to the forum post is was like two posts down and the the person goes how is team charlie not already ahead what the hell is wrong with you people we have the first opportunity to have an actual ufo in star trek online what's wrong with you people i didn't realize that these were going to be the actual ships i thought these were going to be parts of bigger ships no this is the ship why would you 
think that though, because that's not how they've done the previous ones. I didn't take part in the previous one. I wasn't sure how it was done. I just thought we were voting for components ah. and then they were going to be put together. <laughs> see, 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 that's the thing. See, that's the thing. There's a certain perception when you say design your ship contest. You are thinking you're going to choose elements and build a ship via the community. This is a pick a ship what we designed to be your ship. I suppose because I knew more about this before it happened, um, I never thought that. Um, but I knew what was due to be coming because of, uh, of course, the forum what it, um, wanted to. We need to know what was going on and sort of monitor things. So yeah, I suppose for me, I never thought that because I knew how it was being organised. See, uh, I. But see, that's the thing. Even back when we were doing this for the Jupiter class, the the you know the perception is you design the you know you you have elements that the community picks to design a ship, not pick a ship design that we made. Well, I suppose the issue with people designing it components is the fact that. To make it fit in the game, they need to make it that it has a certain console layout, bridge officer layout. So, yeah, if they were to do all these different things and then you've got all these people who are sort of like a lot of the ships that are played are always tactical. So you'd always end up with guns all over the place and then you'll have the smaller population who like exploration, who wants it more science that you're always going to get the sort of tactical look coming through. Whereas if you're just deciding on a ship design that's been created and you don't have all that control, so they don't always end up being yeah, but see, that's, see, that's the same thing. aspects coming I, I through. Can, I can separate the designing the, the, the guts of the ship. I can separate that from designing the actual ship. See, if, if, you know, if I were thinking of an actual design your ship contest, you know, and here are the elements. You know how they have like 20 or so different ships that they prototype for a new ship design? It just mm. in base concept art, like sketching? Yeah, you could do the same thing and say, okay, here's a couple of saucers. Choose a saucer. Here's a couple of hulls with that saucer on it. Choose a hull. Now choose some pylons. Now choose some nacelles. Now you have your ship. Well, maybe they're eventually leading for it. I mean, the original one, it was just, we just picked the design and that was it. And I'm hoping with this one, they take the next step after we pick the design. Since we have so much time before it, I guess, it potentially releases. We don't even know when it's going to release um, as a playable Maybe the next step is we get to pick just they're wanting to do just okay, we pick the components of what console layout, what bridge officer layout, and then if expanding it that far works, okay, then that's the next logical step is we get to pick the individual pieces and put it together ourselves. Maybe they're do doing guys, it as a, a progressive thing. Do you guys notice how they've thrown out the whole carrot? 
thing. Oh, oh, if you guys do this, maybe we'll do something with the Klingons and the Romulans. Well, I think that was more to do with the way that, sort of as Jesse and Ryan said, that 3.5 is sort of this place in between what's coming with the next seasons and what's just been done with all the time travel and everything else recently. And rather than doing a Klingon or Romulan ship, it was a perfect choice to have this special anniversary one where it was no faction and it fitted in with the storyline because their timetable that fitted in. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to actually do one for the Romulans or the Klingons um, after this one. I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. I, I, I'm. I'm not. I, I. I don't eagerly anticipate a design your ship contest involving the Romulans and the Klingons. I don't. Well, especially so. We'll go on to the infographic later. But even on console, when you've got so little of the community playing those factions, you can see why they're not in a hurry to do stuff just for those ones. But it's, as we've gone through before, it's a catch-22. Unless they make the stuff for it, less people will play it. Um, it's always going to be difficult, I suppose. But yeah, the thing is, for me, I think the three ships that were chosen were actually the three ships that I voted on. Um, the only one I'm not sure about is whether or not I did actually vote for Echo, because I can't remember <laughs> if I had chosen <laughs> the more sort of Battlestar Galactica, um, or as most people thought, Sona, um, Echo, rather than the more sort of like um, Predator head. Um, so I can't remember which one I went for. But I'm sure it was actually Echo that I'd actually chosen. But, yeah, I do like all three designs, so I'm now looking at them going, I don't know which one I want. <laughs> <laughs> That's no so, moon. It's a crescent ship. Uh, I'm looking at the three of them, and I'm part of me thinking, well, one of them I like less than the other two, but then the other two, it's just like... Uh, which one know. do you like less? For me, it's Charlie. It's like half a Ferengi ship. I could see that, yeah. But I do like Alpha and I do like Echo. But I just, at the moment, I'll have another look um, later on this weekend. But yeah, I, I can't decide which one I want to go for. Is it Charlie, Alpha or Echo? Charlie is, is one of those things where it's sitting in a weird place. Because it, it reminds me of the... It reminds me of the, the Scout ships from Independence Day but if you you know look at the the advanced concept art that we have now it's got this rainbow ring around it like the jellyfish from Farpoint mm. so um but yeah decisions 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 so um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what uh, goes on with the voting so um but we will find out but I had a look at the forum voting and there's only 10% in between the most popular and the least popular. So there's not much in it really. And then, of course, you've got the voting on all the other um, 
social media sites. So uh, yeah, definitely be interesting to see where that's taken. But uh, yeah, on to more PC-only news. Um, this weekend, you have also got 20% off duty officers. And there is also um, a Dilithium weekend event. So yeah, if you want to go mining, you've got 100% bonus. So that's at the Asteroid Field and the Fleet Dilithium Mine. And any other Dilithium content in-game is a 50% bonus. But of course that will exclude your reputation stuff. So uh, yeah, unfortunately I don't think I'm going to get any chance to make use of that. But I have been waiting for another one of those weekends to come around. But uh, yeah, I've got another event this weekend that I need to get a lot of stuff organised for. Now again... We've already talked about Agents of Yesterday um, Expansion 3.5, which is also known as Artifacts. So that was released on Tuesday. Now, that, of course, we sort of went through in the interview the different things that came with that. And um, one of those um, things that came in for logging in was some rewards and lots of people had emails and a code but um yeah it was found that it could be misused and it got withdrawn so uh, lots of confusion on the forums and other we'll social media sites that during feedback though yeah <laughs> um but yeah the code was withdrawn so if you have an email that says use this code it won't work now, what they did do instead was they released something in the C store. So if you log in either today, um, which is Friday the 28th, or tomorrow, Saturday the 29th, until 9am Pacific, that is tomorrow, then you can actually get a large XP boost, three Gamma Duty Officer packs, and an R&D box. And your character will have to be at least level 10, and you can only claim it one per account, and then those items are character bound. So, yeah, if you're listening live and you have not actually claimed your items, go do that now. So, um, we'd gone through the Sphere Builder lockbox that came out with the most recent update. Um, have many of you guys done much in the way of getting keys and well, boxes? No, no um, I haven't. I've not got any of the items from the box yet. I've, I've been spending all of my EC, like, oh, I don't know, leveling up my kit modules. <laughs> yeah, that has been important. I mean, right now I'm at the point where my Orion can plop down a level 70 flamethrower turret. That's again, level 70 flamethrower turret. Oh, and uh, and uh, the a level seventy what is it, the biotech turret? Yeah, my engineer. I've actually been upgrading the kit at the moment rather than the modules, but I've only actually been able to sign in I think once this week. Well, see, that's the interesting thing: the modules themselves are not upgradable in quality, just in rank. So you're yeah. you're still getting you're still getting the higher levels and the better damage from the rank increase, but you can't increase their quality. So my fleet turret 
is still going to be the fleet quality ultra rare, but still be the flamethrower turret deploying at level 70 because it's Mark 14. Yeah, the because with my engineer, I've got a kit which improves um, all the turrets and things like that. So, um, yeah, I've been concentrating on upgrading that, but I ran out of the lithium. The change to the kits was rather interesting because it made the fleet Romulan kit a viable kit option again. It's like the the kit option that I have for the Romulans is a kit proficiency, which increases the modules uh, uh, damage and and level ability. But it also uh, 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 personal shield generator aspect to it, and it had a um, weapons damage boost on the kit itself. So your actual ground weapons do more damage. And the kit module, even though it is ultra-rare quality, is upgradable in quality. So it can be made epic. Yay! Now, some of the issues that people have been having with the new kits is the fact that they haven't seen their equipment. Um, Because, of course, it disappears from your character and then reappears as the split items in your inventory. So... A lot of people are finding that by switching maps, sometimes it takes a few map moves that will sort it. Others have found that logging out and logging back in again will um, sort it. Some have found that playing the new featured episode will get it done. Um, and then there are a few people who still haven't got it. Yeah, so, I mean, my kit stuff went on holiday for a couple of days there, but uh, it has returned. I had to reclaim a few of them from the uh, Lithium Reclaim tab store. So, um, so yeah, the issue with these changes is every time you log into a character that that hasn't been logged into, what it's going to do is it runs a little script in the background and that then converts all your items. And for some of these things, depending on how many other people are logging in, there can be some delay in what it's doing. So um, it's unfortunately a waiting game, but unless they did a complete pass on everything before the shards were sort of opened up, that that sort of change would take a very long time. But unfortunately, yeah, when things get released and you've got a lot of people logging in at once, it increases um, sort of the load on the server for what it's doing. Now I know. They have tried in recent updates is to sort of move away from fixes like that because of the performance issues. Um, And instead, for a lot of things, it's been, it'll only change if you wish to change it or upgrade it and things like that. But obviously, given the type of change this was, it had to be something that was done automatically. So that's done when you log into each character. So, um, so yeah, but from what I've been able to see, for the most part, is they will eventually turn up. But, of course, if you're wanting to run a mission and you like to do ground, um, you can't always even add a different kit because it won't allow you because it's expecting something that's uh, in the process of actually getting to you or whatever it's doing. Something's locked it. But, um, yeah. Hopefully it won't be too long. 
and hopefully now, um, yeah, now a lot of people have already logged in, hopefully the delay won't be as much now. So, okay. Um, well, release notes. Um, we've sort of gone through the main aspects of the things that have come out. Um, we have already mentioned the featured episode in the interview called Echoes of Light. And of course, Ryan and Jesse did go through a couple of things that the episode um, tries to look at. Um, so from what it sounds like, it is more of an exploration mission. So I'm going to look forward to finding time to play that eventually. Um, we've got the new fleet holding, which is Starbase K-13. Um, just remember that this is another holding where you can't actually get down to the ground or into the Starbase until you have unlocked. Um, but you need to do the... Tier um, 1. Yeah, the Tier 1 completion. Yep, so you need to fire off those missions to get it to Tier 1 in order to get down there. But it is an interesting map for the exterior, which I think Ryan had mentioned that um, he'd created. Um, I do Some like people the, said there were shootable asteroids? Well, the... they show as an enemy, but you can't shoot them, because I tried. Because I thought, ooh, this is fun. I can sort of play a 3D version of asteroids. It's like, yay! But yeah, I selected them, and yeah, I couldn't do anything. I was like, oh. <laughs> it would be nice if that changed. Um, you want a better target practice. I just thought it would be fun to do, but it's just I got disappointed I couldn't. It's like, oh. <laughs> better than shooting womp rats in your T-16 back home, huh? <laughs> so, oh, wait, um, wrong franchise. So yeah, as we just mentioned, you've got the kit revamp. Um, you've got the graphics update with all the lighting um, and the um, DirectX 11 um, updates as well. Um, just for general content, um, you've also got 12 additional inventory slots that every person gets for free for each character. Um, another change that's been implemented is regarding master keys. Y your player now has to be level 10 in order to purchase them. So um, that doesn't um, prevent your player from being able to trade keys and use them if under level 10. But you just won't be able to purchase them. So um, it's same with PvP. You now have to be level 10 in order to join a PvP match. Um, loads of other issues have been resolved. And um, they've also made some changes to some of the journals as well with regards to some of the missions and yep. added waypoints they've added some more voiceovers to the first 20 levels of the federation arc so yeah lots of other sort of bug fixes and um, quality of life improvements for some of the missions so there's a whole list guys, of things there guys Speaking of quality life improvements, fleet yeah. holdings. Indeed, I've heard a lot of mixed reactions about this. What's this? The various item requirements, torpedoes, devices, etc., and commodity requirements, except contraband, have been converted into a single energy credit entry. Yay! However, 
any associated progress that you had before that. Say you were adding in 70,000 communications arrays, that's all wiped and reset to zero. It's because Ouch. it's all energy credits now. Yeah. And I kind of knew about this because we all saw the triple patch notes from ages ago, but it seems yep. that not everybody saw them. There's a lot of people who are a bit confused and annoyed because they've lost... Well, um, and now some of these things are requesting 20 million EC to uh, fill up. Damn. Ouch. Yeah, um, but whether or not they could have done something that converted the current progress based on a particular rate um, could have happened, I don't know. But again, that would have had to have been something that um, they actually did before things went live. So whether or not the amount of resources and time that would have taken for every fleet would have been too much. Maybe one of the reasons why it wasn't done, I don't know. We also had something extra special happen. Remove duty officer requirements from reputation projects and increase the dilithium input requirements at 100 per duty officer that was previously required. Yay! Did that actually happen? Because when I had a look, the duty officer requirements were still there and it wasn't dilithium. Ah, uh, you're thinking fleet holding. This is reputation projects. Ah, uh, but no, it's... Uh, it, yeah, no, there is, even in the show notes, it actually says about duty officer input requirements. Yeah, I see, yeah, on all reputation projects. So, the, yeah, they've actually put that under fleet holdings, which is where I think some of the confusion was. That so bullet people point... who were after your uh, scorpion fighters in the Romulan rep, you no longer have to have duty officers to complete it. Yes, that's, that's mainly the big thing that's... That's the big duty officer input requirement thing. Those and I think the um, the the Tholian pets in the Tholian reputation. Were those particularly high, or was it a uh, you know just a couple? It was of stars? Uh, if it was it was fourteen duty officers per uh, per scorpion fighter, and I think they were like engineering duty officers. Okay, so it's not too much of a. Too much of a hike in price. No, not really. I mean, it's it's about it's about the same as going out and and if you were to buy those duty officers with dilithium, it would be about the same anyway. But yeah, I no longer have to spend duty officers for reputation stuff. I can just spend more dilithium. And that makes things an awful lot easier, especially as a lot of the fleet holdings require an awful lot of duty officers. Well, and you also have to remember too. The Scorpion Fighters in the Romulan reputation are fleet quality ultra rare. Instead of being in a fleet holding hangar purchase thing, they're part of the Romulan reputation. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of other little things that have been um, fixed, as mentioned. Um, they've also made some changes to the UI. Reputation systems are now hidden until the player is level 50. Um, that was one of the things that I know I'd sort of mentioned in previous episodes. Um, 
though I still would like to see instead of it just being a pure 50 and sort of everything being done is for them to try and link in um, especially some of the reputation systems that could go into some of the arcs for example Borg um, if you're playing a, if you're playing a toss captain you should be getting points towards the temporal reputation and it just only lets you start that reputation at 50 but by the time you get to level 50 you will have amassed all of these temporal marks for that reputation because that's your reputation same with the romulan reputation if you're a romulan captain <gasps> yeah it'd be nice if these missions would actually give marks for these reputations but Rather than them all being unlocked at 50, I would like to see the projects being unlocked earlier. But some of, instead of all the rewards being there, so they would be unlocked at 50. So you wouldn't be able to get the consoles and the weapons and things like that until you hit 50. But you could start adding to these projects by playing the missions that you've unlocked in the arcs so say you got to the Romulan arc you could start doing some of the Romulan projects and um, so even if you just replayed them you could just add to them by getting a small amount of marks uh, per mission that you played which again that could even be dependent on how long the mission tends to take and yeah, that way it gets people used to doing stuff with the reputation systems an awful lot sooner. And then that way when they hit 50, all the other reputation systems then become available that don't fit into the arcs. And you also get the unlocks for things like the weapons and the consoles and all the other items. But it's just a way that people get to see some of this stuff a little bit more gradually so it's not you get to 50 and oh we've got what eventually could be like a dozen different reputation systems which one do i start with oh what's on each of them it means people can have a little bit of a look around they can see what they can get but they just can't slot those um or purchase those items so it's just locked out so um but yeah that's what i personally would like to see um so yeah, they've done lots of animation fixes. Um, some of the known issues I'm on patch day was that the foundry functions um, will not be available for an extended time due to the updates of the lighting. And some lighting, as was also mentioned in the interview with Ryan and Jesse, is that some people may find things to be too bright or too dark on some maps. So yeah, if you do find things like that, um, report that in the forums. And as I said, they'll get people looking into it to sort that out. The other known bugs were that resolution setting is defaulting at too low a number on some graphics cards. Well, that's that's yeah, that's for the second update. That's for the second release notes. Ah, those were the ones that I was looking at. Yeah, right, you... we're, we're getting into those now. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, we're doing that now, so if you want to go through them. Yep. Uh, temporal agents' rewards cannot be claimed on characters which are not temporal agents on the same account. And some kit modules and kits are not displaying for captains 
So if you're trying to claim anything that you've uh, unlocked to account on your other characters, you won't be able to get them for the moment. Something that's kind of miffing me, but... Eh. Now we have our first vanity project! Yay! Most people don't even have their one done yet, and we already have our vanity project for it. Now you can have a bar for 200,000 dilithium. But that's not the first time they've done that. They've done that with a few of the fleet holdings, I've where you get the vanity projects before, like even with a dilithium mine, you got vanity projects for parts of the um, dilithium mine you couldn't even access. But it means that when you do, you've got access to those things if you've been able to afford it. So, um... You know, yeah. you know how we were talking before the show about all of these game companies going, hey, you know what? We're not going to charge you for this TLC. <laughs> this is kind of the opposite, and it's in-game. <laughs> hey, give us, give us an extra 200,000 dilithium, and you can have this DLC that adds chairs and tables. <laughs> Well, Pictures on the walls, fish tanks. They need people coming in to earn Dilithium, so it's a way to get people in-game. But the main downloaded content for the game is free. So to just say that... All, the thing is, even all these other games, they're going to have stuff to sort of get people in the game like they do with these fleet holdings, which will be you get in-game... So it's technically it is free, but it's free if you've spent so much time in game to earn in game credits. Now, yes, for this particular one, you do actually have a way of putting money into it in order to unlock it because it's dilithium. But yeah, it's technically still free because you can earn all that without spending a penny. I'm not arguing whether or not this game is free to play. I'm poking fun at the fact that it's, hey, this is our our version of the proverbial oblivion horse armor. It's a vanity thing that has no ramifications. And some of you are going to spend money on it. Ha, ha, ha. Well, some people like that sort of thing and it's important to them. Uh, no, no, see, it would be likable if the if the fleet holdings were a permanent map, not a temporary map. See, because every time you log out when you're in a fleet holding, you log back into wherever the hell you were, and then you have to go back to that fleet holding. Okay. Now, you've mentioned about the featured episode, um, Echoes of Light, so... As it's a featured episode, we have rewards for each week that get unlocked. Now, you guys are probably better to talk about the um, rewards themselves, because I've not actually looked into what these are. Um, which ones um, is it that you've got access to this week? Do you... Okay, so for us, you get a... Essentially, you get a ground weapon as your no choice whatsoever. That is reward number one that you get off the top for completing the mission. Yeah. And it's uh, the Nausicaan Energy Lance. You have a choice of the Nausicaan Disruptor Beam Array for your, for your ship, 
or a, a disruptor coil, which is you know the the tactical console that uh, makes makes disruptor damage higher. And the disruptor beam is actually really really nice for a free weapon. It's a it's a disruptor it's a disruptor weapon that has a hold. Well, no, it's not just that. It has a hold. It also has a leech mechanic on it because it's taking power away from your target and then adding it to your base power. Which is the, the, which is a thing that the Noskins have always had, which is, this is why they have siphon frigates. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're adding you add that on top of a leech, on top of everything, it's a nice extra siphon. And then the two-piece bonus they reference is that if you run two pieces of this mission's set, then that hold also has a damage over time effect as well. Like, that's actually kind of nice. I think it's a great, from what I've seen of all three pieces, it's a nice free set that I think a lot of people are going to use. Especially just... all of the Klingon captains who run yeah. Disruptor. And, and <laughs> having, you know, all of that as a free set, I even think there's going to be some high-end builds with it, but just having that, that is a nice... Just the beam array itself by itself is nice. I'm running my KDF tune right now on this mission for that reason. Could you could you see a galore Kelden class with like almost all spiral waves except one Nausicaan and then the Nausicaan torpedo? Yeah, I honestly could. That would be deadly. I mean, and, and this is this is the other reason why I like the set. That Nausicaan torpedo is the only free that everybody's going to have access to energy based torpedo. They had the crystalline torpedo that was an event weapon, but you keep, no one can get that anymore. And then I think there's one of the lobby torpedoes that actually does energy damage. I think it's the plasmatic biomatter torpedo. Well, the um this was a long long ago, but the um before before we got the uh, uh 8472 um, reputation, the, the Undine reputation. Uh, the Romulan captains got the um, biomolecular torpedo for doing the, uh, the, 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 the brainwashing episode where you're on the Tal Shiar ship. Yeah. And when, it, when, when that was taken out, if I'm not mistaken, that was actually replaced with a disruptor torpedo. Yeah, I remember the disrupting photon. That which was cool, a yeah. which has a, a a kinetic damage, but it has the disruptor debuff. Because if I remember correctly, it, ha- it it's a kinetic based weapon now. But that's what I'm saying. With the exception of things that were locked behind events, or things that they've taken away, or a lobby purchase, this is the only torpedo that's boosted by energy damage because it's an energy based torpedo that everyone can get because it's a mission reward and. With what that torpedo does, it's a nice torpedo. I mean, this is my evil thought with Coalition Disruptors doing what they're doing. Use those with that torpedo for a heavy debuff and then a very heavy disruptor hit. That's a nasty and, combination. And, well, and don't forget the, the traits that allow your um, your torpedoes to bypass shields altogether, mm-hmm. too. Because... That's that's a big thing that a lot of people complain about with the the crystalline antiproton torpedo. Is like it's well, yeah, okay, it's antiproton. It's going to go splat against the shields. Well, not if you have the trait that allows like 
three-fourths of the thing to, to, to bypass shields. But overall, it's going to be nice. And then for people that are you know trying to get consoles on a budget, the dis- having a Mark 12 very rare disruptor console is actually nice to have. Now you're not hoping for a drop. It's just like uh, the episode Midnight, where you can get Tetrion consoles. Now you have a disruptor console. It's just easy to get. And don't forget, don't forget, the week two reward is also a disruptor console, but it's science. Now, see, I I know why they did that, though, and I understand it. Because the last disruptor console they gave us for free was a tactical console, so they had to switch it up. Because the last one they gave us was Blood of the Ancients, the Resonance Harmonic Relay. That was Plus a you've tactical. got all these people that say, you never do anything for science. That too. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I even like the console. It's It's got a nice, Well, the console is beautiful. I just yeah. looked at it and saw that it had plus disruptor damage on it, and I went, oh, what? Yeah. That's what, you know, it's I mean, I a lot of options. I don't have to throw away a tactical console for a three-piece set? Nope. That's, and that's, yeah, that's why I like it. Just, it gives players a lot of options, and they can be free options. Uh, well, so, yeah. Looks like an interesting set to collect. Um, so I take it this first week's um, reward is running t- until patch day on Thursday, I believe, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it's just over a week for this first week because this featured episode, of course, was launched on Tuesday, um, which was the 25th, um, with expansion 3.5 now one of the things that was it you son found this one oh yes i found that this week yeah that was fun that was fun seeing something that wasn't there before and going wait what well do you want to explain Okay, so we had a new RP blog this week, and I will forgive you if you didn't see it, because you had to scroll down to find it. The new RP blog is called Calm Before the Storm, or as I've been calling it, Temporally Anomalous Story. Okay, so here's here's the story with the story before we actually talk about the RP in it. The posting date for Calm Before the Storm is October the 7th. The blog itself did not appear until this week, and story-wise, it takes place after the Conquest blog, which was released on October 13th. Yeah, let that sit in the noodle. (laughs) So yeah, this blog was dated from before the Conquest blog, only visible this week, and it takes place after Conquest in the storyline. So what did you think of the blog itself, then? The blog itself was actually rather amusing, considering it was the Lakari doing um, essentially holodeck recreations of toss stuff. Well, one of the one of the Lakari doing a, a, a toss uh, a holodeck adventure from one of the old toss episodes. I can't tell you which one because I'm not that big of a toss nerd that I can tell you what episode it is, but. I think it refers to an episode called Day of the Dove. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, we essentially, it it opens up with with us being in what appears to be 
the toss era, and, well, you've got Spock and McCoy going back and forth, and they're talking to what we assume is Kirk, and then come to find out it's actually Lucari. It's like, okay, because half, you know, halfway into this, into this, you know, this back and forth, nobody ever says Jim, nobody ever says Kirk, and then all of a sudden, the uh, turbo lift doors open, and it's Kumarki, and she's like, having fun, and the Lucari in the captain's seat goes, yeah, and like, hangs their head in, in, in embarrassed excitement, because, oh my god, stuff, right? <laughs> and the whole rest of this vlog is just like a big spiel about you're, we're going to have to take you to Earth and get you some barbecue. That's it's all I can remember from this vlog. It's like, look, you're probably the one Lucari that actually wants to leave our planet and go to Earth just for the food. What's yeah. wrong with you? It wasn't like Kansas City barbecue they wanted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god, what the hell is going on with the Lucari? Apparently they want some barbecue. Don't get in their way. It's like, is 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 this why things happen in, in the new featured episode that make me question things? Because things that happen in that episode make me question certain things. And, you know, I know we're not getting into spoiler territory until next week, but my god, this kind of explains that. I just think it explains that they time travel back in time to our era so they can get authentic Kansas City barbecue from the 20th century, and that's why there's so many UFO sightings. Well, no, not even that. <laughs> that's why I think that. it is. They, they went to go get the barbecue in the current century and wound up falling into some kind of temporal anomaly, kind of like like Rom and, 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 and Quark and, and Nog. And, and then, you know, they've just been spotted everywhere all throughout time as the various different choices we've gotten for the ship because we haven't picked one yet now for it to be in-game in the future so that they could come back to the past accidentally and get barbecue. Yeah, as long as they're getting good barbecue, I guess, though. And you wonder why I keep saying time travel is a seventh-dimensional problem. I just gave you the explanation. <laughs> reason there are all those different sightings with all those different shapes is because all of those are a type of Lucari ship that we have yet to pick that goes into the game that gets invented in the future that they time travel accidentally back to the past to get their barbecue with. That's that's the seventh that's the seventh dimension of time travel, guys. So it's like they go to Earth and someone says like, yeah, this restaurant it was good, it used to be good, like maybe a couple of hundred years ago, and they're like Okay, so we time travel. Mm-hmm. That's, that makes uh, sense. But yeah, it was a nice little blog. Um, but yeah, me too. The most I can remember from it is the barbecue, but that's because I just <laughs> love barbecue. You were hungry? <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm hungry now. <laughs> so, now, there are some events coming up for the PC. Of course, we had mentioned earlier on with Jesse Hearts and Minds um, is coming out for October 31st through to the 1st of November. So, um, yeah, you've got 24 hours in order to get your clones. You've got the Crystalline event that starts November 3rd 
and the Christmas event will be starting the 1st of December. Going on to mention the Crystalline event there, I'd read that there'd been fixes to a duty officer that had been dropped in a previous Crystalline event. Sounds like they might be coming around again. Well, probably, that was probably fixed because it's going to be, that version of Crystalline Entity is going to be released on the console, and better to get it fixed now than have to wait for it to be on console and fix it then. Yeah, which is uh, one of the things that was mentioned in the interview. So, yeah, it may not be we'll be getting it again. It could just be that. So, yeah, yeah. It, it had dropped for the previous Crystalline event on console, which I think was last month at some point. So they fixed errors with it then. So, uh, yeah. So um, that's it for PC news. For console, there's a lifetime sale that's still on. Because um, that's been going on since release, hasn't it? So um, you've still got just over a couple of weeks. So November 17th is when... Um, that will be finishing, so you can get a third off a lifetime subscription. Um, so it's usually was it three hundred dollars, and it's now down to just under two hundred. So yeah, if you're interested in being a lifetime subscriber and getting those perks, yeah, and if you have the money, of course. So, right, I'm um, just. Pasting in some feedback we got for one of the news stories. And lost where I was. That means you can't multitask when you can only see a small part of the screen. <laughs> uh, do you want me to move on to the next article on the list? If one of you could, yeah, I sure. would be grateful. Also, coming up until October 31st, we've got a 15% sale on Master Keys on console. So... If you're looking to sell a couple of keys on the exchange and make a couple of quid to buy something big, now's the time to do it. Or if you're just wanting to see how lucky you can get ship-wise, now's the time to do that as well. Just remember that your mileage may vary, and always consider opening a lockbox as a purchase of low buy. That way, you don't get as annoyed when you don't get anything cool out of the box. <laughs> in console news this week as well, we had our first console infographic, which shows the amounts of players, ships, fleets, and duty officers in service currently on console. Now, this, of course, is the infographic I was referring to earlier on in this broadcast. So, so far, now it's only been, what was it, two, three months that consoles have been... Available? We're coming up on about two months. I think it went live on the 6th of September. Okay. So in that time, 1.1 characters have been created. 1.1 so, million. What did I say? You said 1.1. 1. 1. So All right. What, yeah, miss out the important part there. Yeah, 1.1 <laughs> million. And um, yeah, 60% of those are tactical um, there's not much difference between engineering and science, but yeah, engineering just is a little bit greater proportion for player captains than sciences. Now, when it comes to factions, 
Um, we have got 750,000 that are Starfleet, 220,000 that are Klingon, and Romulan, that's 132,000. So, percentage-wise, 68% are Federation characters. 20% is Klingon, and Romulans are 12%. Of course, that goes back to what we were saying, what I was saying earlier on with regards to them wanting to do things like design a ship for those factions when it's such a small proportion. You no, know, so, this actually reminds me of a recent Gallup interview. Uh, Gallup, Gallup is, a, is a, a, a polling organization here in the United States. They did a survey to find that 32% of adults drink regular soda. 24% drink diet soda, and 43% don't drink any soda. Now, let's compare that to the three races in our game, or, or the three factions, as we would call them. So, 43% are the Federation, and don't drink any soda. 32 are the Klingons, and mostly drink the regular soda. And the 24 are your Romulans, and do the Diet soda. Okay. Where's that leading? And um, there's still a there's still a huge marketing push for diet soda. I don't see why there's a lack of marketing push for Romulans or KDF. But in that example, you've got that the biggest proportion is that they don't drink soda. But of course, they're not going to target that audience as such due to the fact that. Hey, that's them not they, making they, any no, drinks. They that, that, <laughs> no, no. That are, you know that what I mean. That, that audience it, is targeted every time they create a commercial in the first place. But they still do release some stuff for the Klingons and the Romulans. But they're not going to spend so, a huge amounts of time doing something for those factions when it's not being played. Marketing is now, still the marketing is still made for regular and diet soda. But the thing is, when it came to the console stuff, you got stuff that showed all the factions. But still, people play Starfleet, because when it comes to Star Trek, you people will... They think I'm not Starfleet. disputing that. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying, there really needs to be more marketing than there is for the Klingons and the Romulans. Now... When it comes to bridge officers, there are 2.7 million bridge officers, and nearly half of them are actually tactical, which isn't really a great surprise, sort of, given the type of people who tend to play console games, that they will be tack heavy, and of course we saw that when it came to um, the captains themselves. Um, there's already 1,617 fleets that have been created. Um, they also showed the most popular ships as well for each faction. Now, interestingly, they broke it down between PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and it was actually the same ship for the Klingons, which was the Negvar Heavy Battlecruiser. Now, it was actually different when it came to the Romulans. You'd got the Malum Light Warbird for PlayStation 4 against the Scimitar for um, Xbox One. So, yeah, I found that quite interesting, actually, because isn't the Malum Light Warbird, is that a top-tier ship? Yes, it's the uh, Tier 6 Tavaro. 
Okay, for some reason I thought that was a tier four ship, but yeah, I no, haven't no, played no, 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 no. my Romulans for a while. The tier six version, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and yeah, when it came to the Federation, um, yeah, tactical escort, um, so the Defiant um, was the favourite for PlayStation Four, but. What was even more interesting was the fact it was the Eclipse Intel Cruiser that was the most popular for Xbox One. So this is one of the cryptic designs rather than um, one that was actually seen on the TV series. So it's the same. It's the same, just in reverse for the for the Romulans with the Malum and the Scimitar. So, but no, as I said, it was just more interesting that the Intel Cruiser was one of the most popular because it's not exactly one that was seen on screen. Because you if, would you look at the, if you look at the, the side-by-side, though, there's one thing you can absolutely tell wholeheartedly. PS4 people are wholly in love with the idea of DPS. Yeah. The Negvar, the Malum, Tactical Escort, those are all DPS-heavy ships. Whereas on the Xbox One, you've got a DPS heavy ship in the Negvar, a DPS heavy ship in the Scimitar, and a weird, quirky cruiser that tanks and then does underhanded trickery like it's a Romulan and not the Federation. (laughs) Now, one of the things that Alex has brought up in chat is the fact that the tutorial actually gives you four bridge officers one engineer, one science, and two tactical. So you've already got a higher proportion of tactical officers. Um, so, um, yeah, that is very true. No, I think what I think what Alex is trying to point out is it seems like people are even finishing the tutorial and they're claiming these people as players. Um, well, see, because if you're if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to have if you say you have one million current players right now, one million captains on console, you have to have at least four million bridge officers from the get-go, and it's only two. That means that means that means a whole hell of a lot of people aren't running around with a full complement of bridge officers. So that means they started a tutorial, did a mission or two, and stopped. True. Yes, I am, Alex. But you brought it up in chat. You just blame Alex. That's- <laughs> he says it. He says Sun talks about my feedback before even getting into the feedback proper. That's <laughs> damn right. You brought it up. I'm going to talk about it. Okay, Star Trek timelines. Now they've got some things going on. They've got a new event, I believe. Um, again, I haven't had the time to even play that. They've got some new characters that have been released. Um, so there's the, I'm trying to think, it was a Voyager character, wasn't it? Yes, uh, Sulan. The, the, uh, yeah, that's a legendary character, so um, that's gold. So that's now available. And uh, yeah, usually they do more than just the one um, character at a time. Um, but yeah, this time that particular one was just, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, would have expected um, some more for that to be honest but uh, yeah there's also um, some new build notes as well 
Um, they have overhauled all the adverts. Um, they're now different uh, colours and things like that to let you know that something is an advert. And um, the ability to view ads may now be present for some players in three places. One is scanning, warping, and getting chronoton boosts. Um, must admit, I haven't really seen much in the way of adverts in-game. Um, they've also done some improvements to the Galaxy events. Um, so that's bug fixes and UI fixes and other things. They've also um, tried to streamline it as well. So um, they've done some bug fixes. Squadron leaders can now remove players from their squadron. Um, rare rewards no longer appear in the menu to obtain equipment if it's already been claimed and there's a couple of other sort of UI polishes and improvements and other items done as well. So as always the link will be in our show notes. So um, there's also a poem that you found. I found this uh, poem on their forum page from someone called Skyhammer goes one triple, two triples, three triples, and four. A purring pile of fur, roof to the floor. Five triples, six, and seven are awry. The Klingons hate him, and now we know why. Eight triples, nine triples, ten. Too many triples, I tried to say when. Eleven triples, twelve, into the teens. They're everywhere, up, down, and in between. Twenty triples, thirty, and forty. Just pile them up anywhere, get them sorted. 50 triples, 102, so many of these fuckers, what do we do? 300 triples and 4, eat the grain, there'll be more in the store. 500 triples, 6 and 7, give them to the Klingons, then we're even. Very clever. To which Q asked for it replies. He stands on his chair clapping, bravo, bravissimo, and then a triple falls out of his sleeve. (laughs) Now, the event that's currently going on is Ghost in the Machine. This starts tomorrow. Tomorrow, is it? Okay. Yeah, usually it's these things are started a little bit earlier, but no, it started today. Yeah, the event begins October 28th, noon Eastern time. So um, squadrons can play as well. So the event factions are Bajorans, Augments, and Romulans. And the event characters are Dr. Noonien Sung, Rogue Win Adami, and lore. So, um, they will provide you with the bonuses. I like the little blurb, though. I hadn't actually read that. I just posted it. No, I, I'm just saying I haven't had a chance to read it properly. Dr. Nguyen Sung ran out of time to perfect his androids. The temporal anomaly crisis has given him a second chance. With the benefit of being able to study data, lore, and B4's development since his death, Dr. Sung has come to a startling conclusion. The physicality of an android is actually a hindrance to the development of an artificial life form. The true artificial life form isn't bound by the limitations of a physical body, but moves at the speed of light through. Um, but moves at the speed of light. Uh, let me let me do that again. But moves at the speed of thought, more like a hologram. To that end. With the help of the Augments, Dr. Sung has begun experiments in creating a new artificial life form, a fusion of hologram and android. This has attracted attention from his son, Lore, who objects to the notion that androids like himself are flawed. 
and has recruited the Romulans to his cause. Holograms and androids alike, who object to this research but do not trust lore, have found a champion in Win Adami and the Bajorans, who argue that these new life forms are given sentience by prophets, not men. Interestingly, that the androids named were only the data androids and not, of course, Soon's wife. Yeah, this is true. That is really weird. But then again, she was never supposed to discover the fact that she was an android or she would self-terminate. Yeah, but still, if he's running out of time to perfect it, um, given how she was so lifelike... She was, would... she, was the near mo- she was the most complete android that he had ever created, yes. Yeah, wouldn't that be his starting point, I would have thought? Not if she was still alive. Well, he still knows what he did to create her. Just because she's no longer with him, he could still start to create a new android based on her design with holographic... he would have to study her and not the other androids. He's not going to do that because she left him. But all of them have left him. He doesn't have access to any of them. Technically, B4 is scattered somewhere and sort of laws deactivated. Apparently not. He's pissed. Again. Well, no, but that's in one of the different timelines, but in our timeline. <laughs> But yeah, as I said, I just would have expected that if he's going to be trying to do progression, he would have started with the design that he used for his wife rather than... See, now you know how I feel when, like, crazy shit goes on in the Federation and somebody drags the Klingons into it and it's like, what the hell are you dragging me into all this we have to go save the Geckley shit when that has nothing to do with me? Hey, it's just on my mind because I watched the episode um, a few hours ago, so <laughs> just like, hmm. But yeah, um, hopefully people will enjoy the event this weekend. Okay, Star Trek news. Um, IDW has announced there is going to be a Next Generation and Aliens crossover. So, um, Get Fred- away from the Enterprise, you bitch! <laughs> so Fred Ortiz um, replied on Facebook because um, that news we had um, published on our social media channels um, which because of course this is an article from trekcore.com the link of course will be in our show notes said um, well that's certainly right up my alley as a comic book fan so um, yeah definitely interesting to see where that would go because, um, yeah, especially with Data and his speed and strength and things like that. And especially given how the androids of the Alien universe weren't very good at sort of defeating the Alien. So, yeah. In addition to the Xenomorphs, it will also feature familiar Star Trek alien races such as the Borg and the Romulans. <laughs> yeah, that'll be really interesting. Because of course it does. If you're going to meddle with crossing the streams, you have to have the Romulans fiddling with something Borg anyway. Well, it'd just be interesting to see how energy weapons do against the alien, especially on the high settings. 
I'm Does, probably the only person that's that's geeking out over the fact of at this point, this is the perfect time for the comic book because it's doing a crossover to actually put it into the debate, which is more corrosive, Horda acid or xenomorph acid. <laughs> I was going to say you better not shoot that thing because it's going to start like it it'll burn its way through. Yeah, but if it's what, completely forty-two decks, if it's completely disintegrated with phaser beam on max would there be anything left to like blood wise because you never saw any blood when they got vaporized it's just a little scorch patterns yeah it depends on what the nature of the residue left behind is because when the uh there was a creature thing in an episode of tng that shapeshifted and when it was shot it left remains behind that was then able to regrow back into the creature thing mm-hmm. but yeah the alien doesn't really have anything that regrows or regenerates like that so i think that if you'd got a phaser on max that would just completely disintegrate and you wouldn't have the problem with blood dripping and it going through decks and stuff you know honestly i have to say um i i i eagerly await the the violation of Deanna Troy by a face hugger and then a chest burst. <laughs> because you know that's going to happen, right? Deanna Troy always gets violated by something. If it's not the next generation, if the telepath isn't being violated in some way. Which is which is sad, but that's what you come to expect out of TNG. Telepath female gets violated. Let's make it a story about how it's wrong, and then let's come to a solution to fix it. End of story. Well, as I said, link will be in our show notes to the article from TrekCore.com. And then somewhere in the middle of the, what was it, the fourth or fifth season, they went, look, Deanna's being violated too much. Let's let's make it an Irish ghost and give it to, <laughs> give it to the <laughs> doctor. <laughs> 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 And of all the things they wanted to model their planet after in the the um I've forgotten the word the, the terraforming of the planet they wanted to turn it into Scotland. Why not? It's a beautiful place. Yeah, but it's it's cold and wet though. Just the way I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of this hot weather. Okay. Any other business? Just a reminder that Mav from Stoke Radio is still in the process of relocating and still recovering from his medical issues. So if you can help him, um, the links to his GoFundMe campaigns will be in the show notes. And a reminder for fan films that The Outer Rim, um, previously known as Star Trek Anthology, is still in the process of doing their thing. And, of course, they're always looking for help. And you can help them out at thunderclap.it. And the link, again, will be in our show notes. Um, Still haven't seen anything recent from Renegades um, regarding them actually redoing their stuff to release a full um, conclusion, shall I say, to the pilots that they shot. Now, um... I shall keep you updated if we hear more. Okay, community feedback. 
last week we had asked three questions. Question one, what do you think about the Sphere Builder lockbox announcement? Question two, are you looking forward to the artifacts release? And if so, what are you most looking forward to? And question three was, did you get an expanded edition of Star Trek Beyond? And if so, which special edition extras are you going to be getting? Um, would you like to read out the feedback from the forums? Oh boy, would I! <laughs> so, uh, thank you, Alex, for being the only person to post in the forums at the time that I'm currently reading this. I'm not going to flip over to the forums and check because I'm going to be reading. I just, I just checked. There isn't any more. Okay. So thank you for replying, Alex. You're like the only loyal listener that keeps replying week after week after week. No, Sybil, I'm not saying you're not a loyal listener. You're, you're here in the chat room. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> so Alex replies, hello, triples. So much to talk about. So little time. Community questions. One. Well, I think I called it a few weeks ago. Sphere Builder lockbox. Because, you know, all the enemy ships end up in a lockbox since, um, Legacy of Romulus? Apart from that, I guess a 2 4 science vessel with the hangar bay, and if you get the Constellation Prize ship, access to frigate pets is something I don't remember seeing before. Number two. No, I wasn't. We uh, we heard this whole, there's going to be exploration before, and what did we get? Another half-baked war story. Yawn. Yes, I know it was exciting, because time travel only dies. I will admit, I enjoyed the new episode, Echoes of Light, but I also kind of enjoyed Sunrise. And then we got a few episodes that made me figuratively pull my hair out. So I'm still skeptical. And just to be clear, I can enjoy an episode even if it has issues and flaws, like Butterfly, or Midnight, or the already mentioned Sunrise. But I won't talk about any of those issues, or quote-unquote, head-scratchers, yet. Uh, what else? The K-13 fleet holding? Whatever. Lighting changes? Well, I'm still on DirectX 9 version because my PC doesn't play nice with Stowe's DirectX 11. So no new lighting for me. But I was rather unhappy that you let a bug slip through that chi uh, that changed my render scale to something below 1. I did not appreciate it when games mess with my settings. 3? Nope. No beyond for you. Feedback. Communication, community, and you. 102. Do I really have to? Again? Again? <laughs> Where do I even begin? Let's talk about the console infographic. First, 1.1 million captains. I know from the PC infographic that captains... Uh, I don't, I don't know my... I don't know my equation abbreviations like this, so, uh, exclamation equals. I don't know what that equates to. Is not equal to. Okay. It's programming. Captains is not equal to accounts and players. Across both consoles sounds somewhat impressive, but I first read about the infographic on Massively OP, and someone uh, in the comments made a good point. How do 1.1 million characters and 2.7 million bridge officers go together? 
That means each of those characters has, on average, 2.45 bridge officers. Just getting through the tutorial brings you up to at least four. Let that sink in for a moment. Second, I remember how we didn't get an uh, remember how we didn't get an infographic this year. Well, no company ever can shut up about their achievements or accolades. Warhammer Online, or rather Warhammer Age of Reckoning, put out press releases about how it was the fastest growing MMO ever. And when they stopped growing, their press releases slowed down at first, and then stopped. Same thing with Star Wars The Old Republic. Or look at EVE Online. They kept publishing their subscriber numbers as long as they were still growing, slowly but steadily. When the numbers stopped increasing, CCP stopped talking about them. World of Warcraft was probably the only MMO that kept publishing numbers, even when they started declining, until Warlords of Draenor happened, and then they just lost subscribers left and right. I, for one, will be watching Stowe's upcoming 7th anniversary very intently. I haven't read this section. Are there are there any spoilers in this section? Has anybody read <laughs> um, Alex's comments? There aren't any, any spoilers in his feedback. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because he was talking about this week's release. Okay, now let's look at this week's release. There was a launch blog by our EP, Steve Percosa, and I will not nitpick it because I've got bigger fish to fry. There's no mention of the kit revamp in the blog, and there's especially no mention of the 12 inventory slots everybody received for free. There was no mention of a reward code after the blog, or there was mention of a reward code after the blog, then that code was edited out just pretending that it never happened. But people started asking around. Apparently some people got that code via email. And then Midnight showed up in one of the threads asking about that code and promised to investigate. And the answer he got was, the code could be exploited and there is no plan to come up with something else. See, those 12 inventory slots and that reward code could have been a turn in, uh, could have been turned into good PR, a gesture of generosity. If we ignore the fact that you skipped the annual end of summer giveaway, <laughs> to build some goodwill, and then everything blew up and people got unhappy. You see, How the only I? thing that I, I think it's odd. Why not just put in the sea store in the first place? Why fart about with codes? That because Arkwatcher. They want people using Ark, so it's a way to get people to download the Ark. Um, Arbitrary to- nefariousness. And I think we have our show title this week. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's it's arbitrary nefariousness. It's pushing people into a system that they may not use to access the game in order to get quote-unquote goodies. See, those 12... Okay, I, I, I said that already. How would I have handled this? Well, mention, that the 12, mention the 12 inventory slots, for starters. You gave those out for free but nobody ever mentioned them in any official capacity. And no, that one dev, was it Spartan on the forums, doesn't count because no dev tracker. And the person who edited Rokosa's blog post to pull the reward code added a sentence in or two that explains that there was something there, but you ran into an unfortunate and unforeseen issue, and you're investigating if, how you can rectify the situation, and thank the readers for their patience and understanding. But no, someone thought it would be better to just edit it out and pretend it never happened. That never 
works. Especially when you send out emails containing that particular code. All you do is make people even more upset. Last week I mentioned how telling us next stop Delta Quadrant before the announcement of Delta Rising was bad. See, I, I do not. I do not want to know everything. I want data miners out there because I want to catch a glimpse of what might be coming next. I want to speculate. Tell you about this one amazing feature that you're working on. Hint at something else. Do not tell me about the next expansion's content before you announce it. Do not put it where the data miners can find it. If you talk about a feature, do not tell me that it's in the next expansion until after that expansion's announcement. Do not even hint at it. But if it's part of the next season, yeah, sure, go ahead and tell me about it. Expansions should be shrouded in mystery, speculation, excitement. And now let's talk about timing. This week's release notes contained a lot of stuff. You just kept fixing, uh, you, you just keep fixing the leveling content and then adding to it. That's great. And just on time for the upcoming Agents of Yesterday. What? Agents of Yesterday is not upcoming? It's been released already? Oh well, it's only been a week, so there's probably not a people that... Wait, what? It's been out a few months? Well, sh surely they fixed stuff for the upcoming Temporal Recruit... What? What? That event that's supposed to be, you know, going on? What do you mean it happened with the expansion release? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's like a new faction. Uh, that should be incentive to... What do you mean the connotations of the word faction made marketing feel uncomfortable? But isn't it usually marketing that tends to overhype? Oh. At this point in time, I have neither enough faces nor enough palms to properly express my feelings. You know, you really need to work on, walks away, prepares some food, eats it, decides to play some Hearthstone, and then returns. Your timing. Unless the temporal recruitment event is about to return, that would only be, uh, that would be the only halfway satisfying explanation. But even then, First impressions, cryptic perfect world. First impressions. Now, one thing I would like to note to avoid confusion, there is a dev tracker if you're on Twitter. This was made by a Star Trek Online um, player or players. And if you're on Twitter, you can get a feed of anything that a dev has posted. When it comes to the forums, there is no dev tracker anymore. When we moved over to, from one of the BB forums to Vanilla, that disappeared. And that hasn't been re-implemented yet. So for anyone who's a bit confused thinking, oh, there is a dev tracker, that's what the difference is. Um, Alex will be talking about the forum dev tracker and not the Twitter one. Um, See, there's a problem with the Twitter dev tracker. And that means that somebody has to physically go and troll the forums to find, not troll, troll the forum to find a post by a dev so that it can be relayed to Twitter through Actually, no, the dev it tracker. isn't. No, they've set something up which looks for posts um, by their username. So if there's a new dev, it gets added to the list and it will automatically do it. It's not a manual thing. So that is automatic when um, it's picked up. It's not waiting for somebody to um, go find it. But um, how fast I, is it? Is it instantaneous or is it a delay? Um, it could be a few minutes delay. 
but usually it's within the next minute or two. Um, I would also we talking about that like when the, the 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 Twitter dev tracker first started was that there were posts by devs that you know weren't showing up, and even though their name was like attached to the bot. Um, well, that was the old forums. Um, but yeah, there are some problems getting the new one going, and well, myself and one of the other moderators had got plans to. Um, try and connect to do something but yeah we couldn't get the access required um, but to do that sort of thing so um, that went bye bye um, the other thing that I would mention to um, Alex is he sort of mentioned about the infographic is we did ask the question to Stephen Ricosa when we interviewed him and he said it's just that there hadn't been much in the way of time because of all the anniversary stuff and um, the consoles. So it's just there wasn't time to go through and do that. Um, that we might get one for the next anniversary, but they had no plans of doing one just yet, obviously because the sort of workloads were um, very busy. Um, but yeah, that's uh, basically what he had said regarding that, rather than things being in a decline. Um, no. And yeah, Luke Critter has put into our chat that it is at stow underscore dev tracker, which is the um, handle for the dev tracker on Twitter for anyone who wants to know. Thank you very much for that. I do want to point out, though, that we, you know, as much as it is a, a somewhat legitimate complaint, Alex, this has happened before. The last time we had like a galactic event thing, the um, what was it, the 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 Iconian temporal thing, right? Where we're replaying on a new character and and doing the what was it, Delta recruitment? Yeah, after Delta recruitment was over, they fixed bugs in the Delta recruitment system that had nothing to do with with Hell, I don't even remember. It's been so long. But it was fixed after the event was even over to begin with. And yeah, it made a lot of people go, well, is it coming back around? No. But again, the some of these fixes were designed to work for um, console. So things were being put that, in. That's Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm getting at. See, yeah. the console version doesn't have Agents of Yesterday yet. And when Agents of Yesterday comes to console, there's probably a good chance that they will get a temporal recruitment event. Now, on Facebook, we had some feedback from Fred Ortiz, who, for question one, said, I don't mess with lockboxes much, except maybe around halfway through the month when I get the Zen Stipen. So I treat it with a shrug and to see if I get the ship or not. Question two. Well, since I have my own Pokey Twitch and YouTube channel, I'm excited to have new Star Trek Online content to feature. And for question three, nope, I'm still up in the air on if I want to get if I want to rent Beyond, which kind of shows my which kind of shows my level of interest in the Kelvin timeline stuff at this point. To be fair, I did like the Kelvin Trek crossover with DC's Green Lantern, 
which is like the only really good thing to come from the reboot trek, in my opinion. We also had Alex Courtney, who replied to one of our posts and said, I subscribed. So I'm not too sure what that's regarding. Um, I did ask the question, um, sort of subscribed, is that to one of the Star Trek Beyond editions or is that you've subscribed to our podcast? I'm not too sure. But um, if it's that you've subscribed to our podcast and you're new to it, welcome. We apologize. <laughs> but yeah, our condolences. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we just weren't too sure um, what you meant by I subscribed. Um, and unfortunately, Alex uh, Courtney didn't get back to us um, regarding the answer. Okay. So, questions for this week. Um, I guess we want to know about your views on the new featured episode. What are your thoughts about the storyline do you guys have any other questions you would like to ask? Not I'll particularly, no. I'll expand upon the opinion of the new featured episodes by asking, what did you think of the rewards? Would you be using them in a future build? Are you eager to get the the next set pieces for your ship? Okay. So if you would like to join our fleets... In Star Trek Online, it's Dribbles and XC Sci Fleet. And for the KDF, it's Targs and Ecstasy. And in Star Trek Timelines, it's just Tribbles and Ecstasy. Um, Alex has asked in chat, so next week is going to be review time, including spoilers. Yes. Um, as always, we like to allow at least a week before we start getting into things. Um, and we actually have a question... From the chat, um, Gethralkin has asked, has anyone come across the problem of not being able to play the featured episode after the first run-through? Honestly, I haven't looked. <laughs> I haven't tried to play it again yet. And I haven't played it yet, no. If you'd like to catch us in syndication, head over to trekradio.net or subspace-radio.net. We are on those stations every Wednesday. You can get us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Star Trek Riser, and Player.me. Just go to their site and go to Tribbles in XTC. You can also email us at hosts at tribblesinxtc.com and you can leave us a message by heading over to speakpipe.com forward slash dribbles in XTC, or you can use the widget on the official post. You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play. Google Play is still only available for North America. But if you would like to leave us a review, or with Google Play a thumbs up, or even down if you don't like it, <laughs> um... Any review is always welcome. Okay. Well, that's it for episode 240. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And once again, a thank you to Jesse Heinick, um, Star Trek Online's staff game designer, and Ryan Levitt, Star Trek Online's staff content designer. As always, we appreciate them taking time out on their Friday afternoon 
um, to come and talk to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always nice. Yeah. So, thanks again, and until next week, goodbye, everyone. I'm going to take this time to pull uh, Timberwolf out of the hidey hole he's been in, like, sulking because of what he did last week. Dude, it's okay. It is wholly okay for you to go on a rant. You don't have to hide the next week because of it. Thanks, son. And then there was my Gackley rant as well. I mean, not not ashamed. Last week was kind no of regrets. amazing. I, I didn't have to... I literally didn't have to set foot on the box because everybody else had something that they that they wanted to get off their chest, and that's kind of amazing. We need more <laughs> of that around here. Seriously. I mean, the next time you get pissed off, Timberwolf, I will gladly give you my box. Just, like, <laughs> seriously. Just not used to it is all. You'll get used to it. I did. <laughs> oh, say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. <sighs> Goodbye, everyone. Always enjoy the game and don't let them change the dice on you. satellite radio for our remastered shows and more you can follow us on twitter at tribbles in xtc or if you have any questions or comments please send an email to tribbles in ecstasy at gmail.com join us next week for another episode of tribbles in ecstasy the only place where tribbles and klingons are friends